This is Matthew 18, 15 through 20, part two. And God willing, there will be a part three next week. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church... Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Father, thank You that You give us Your truth and Word. Thank You, Jesus, that You are among us, that You are present with us in a special way, that You are not when we are alone, that there's something special about the gathering of the saints. Lord, we even long to be with You in a way even then You're not, We say, come Lord Jesus. We want to be with you in that way that's not the same as it is now. Lord, we pray that you would help us rightly divide the Word of God, that we would rightly hear from you what you have to say to us, Lord Jesus. We want to be holy people, and we know this passage, Lord Jesus, you spoke this to your church, your people, that we might be holy, that we would not be hypocrites, that we would not... Just be people who talk the talk, but people who walk the walk. We thank You, Lord, that You demonstrate Your great love for us in this passage, that You will not let us just do whatever we want, that You will just not let us live however we want, but You love us so much that You come after us, that You send Your people to come after us when we go astray. Father, we ask that we would receive this commandment as love, and grace, and mercy, and kindness, and compassion, and patience, and is good. Father, cause us to love Your Word, cause us to love You, and help us be all that You want us to be through the preaching of Your Word. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. As I noted a couple of weeks ago, or three weeks ago, this chapter, chapter 18, is about how to relate to one another in the church, how to love one another in the church, how to deal with offenses and sins and temptations in the church, and how to forgive one another in the church. And so verses 1 through 6, Jesus calls us to humility, that we are small and utterly dependent on God, just like little children are dependent on their parents. Verses 7 through 9, Jesus calls us to turn away from sin in our own lives and to turn away from tempting others to sin. In verses 10 through 14, Jesus calls us to love the straying lost brother or sister like Jesus and our Father in heaven love them as they leave the 99 to go after the one. And then in verses 15 through 20, Jesus shows us how to pursue 
the straying brother or sister in love for their own good. And as we saw several weeks ago, we see again today that Jesus Christ, the God-man, loves His people so much that He calls us to pursue the one caught in sin just like He and His Father do so that the lost or straying might be rescued, restored, and redeemed from the road to destruction. This text that we come to today is about the practice of church discipline and um, in one sense, we are, we are acting, a, a, having church discipline today, right now. There, there's formative church discipline or growth church discipline. As, as we teach the Word, preach the Word, listen to the Word, we're, we're, we're being disciplined. Discipline yourself unto godliness. We're being trained unto godliness as we have Sunday school and do Bible studies and, and preach the Word and gather. We're, we're being disciplined by God, formed in the image of Christ. That's formative discipline. But there's also corrective discipline, corrective discipline, and that's what Jesus is, is focusing in on for us in our passage today. Why do corrective church discipline? Well, number one, Jesus commands it. <laughs> we do it because Jesus commands it. Uh, two, it expresses God's great love for us. I hope that you, you feel that today. So, so many people come to passages like this and, oh, this is so unloving. This is so harsh. This is so mean. No, this is, this is God's love for you. God is expressing His love for you. Jesus is expressing His love for you in that He ain't going to let you go. As one great theologian of our city said, you ain't never getting rid of me. Adrian, you ain't never getting rid of me. That's a rocky quote. God says that to us. You ain't never getting rid of me. I'm coming after you. I'm the hound of heaven, and if you try to run, I'm going to chase you down. He loves you that much. And, and, and this passage, an expression of that love, you ain't never getting rid of God. He's going to chase you down. He ain't never going to let you go. Three, it expresses our love for the fellowship, uh, for fellow church members. It expresses our love for our fellow church members. If we truly love one another, we're not going to let each other go. We're going to come after each other. We're going to pursue one another. We're, we're going to check in on each other. We're going to help one another make it to heaven. Four, we want to be holy like Jesus. Th th this, this passage it is an expression of, 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 of the desire for Christ, of Christ, for us to be holy, and we want to obey Him because we want to be holy. We, we want to be like Jesus. We, we care more about holiness in Christ than we do about offending one another. <laughs> we, we want to be holy. We want to be like Jesus. We, we want people to call us out when we sin. We ought to want that. We ought to want people to confront us when we're in sin. Because we care more about Jesus and the glory of God and being like Him than we do about having our feelings hurt because someone is calling us out on our sin. We want to be holy. Fifth, it keeps others in the church from sin. Practicing corrective church discipline keeps others in the church from sin. Six, it protects the reputation of Christ in His church. It's for the glory of God. Uh, when people look at a member of Oni Baptist Church, they ought to be able to think, oh, this is what a Christian does. This is what a Christian lives like. This is somebody who follows Jesus. 
And when that person then is in unrepentant sin, that brings, brings great shame upon the name of Jesus. And so we want to protect the reputation of Christ and His glory and honor. And seventh, it helps us know if we truly belong to Christ. It helps us know. Corrective church discipline helps us know if we truly belong to Christ because we've seen, beloved, in Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us that a lot of those people out there calling Jesus Lord ain't going to make it to heaven. Right? Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This passage is meant to keep us from being what Jesus warned against in Matthew 7. Remember, this is a verse lots of people love in the world today, judge not, judge not. We, we got that recently outside the abortion uh, clinic where we go on Friday mornings. Why are you judging? You're, you're being unloving. You're judging these women. Why don't you love them? Uh, what, what does Jesus mean when he says judge not? Well, he means don't judge as a hypocrite. So don't judge. You're doing the same thing privately and you're telling other people not to do it. That's hypocrisy. That's what Jesus means when he says judge not. If you look at Matthew 7 verses 1 through 5, judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? <laughs> How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus says, judge not in the sense that don't judge as a hypocrite. If you're doing this sin in private, why are you telling people to repent of it when you're doing it in private? You need to first repent yourself. And then you can see clearly to call others to repent. And that's what this passage is about in Matthew 18. We, we must walk the walk to talk the talk. We need to walk the walk of, 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 of what we talk the talk of. And when we don't walk the walk and we refuse to repent, Jesus tells us what to do in Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Well, how, how can we even begin to walk the walk? <laughs> we need to be saved, right? We need to be born again. There, there's no walking the walk. You can talk the talk and not be saved, right? We can know the gospel question. We can know the right answer. We can memorize that thing cold. I don't deserve to go to heaven. I, I deserve hell. I'm a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's true. And God will send sinners to hell because He's righteous and holy and good. Uh, and He loves His glory and His holiness. And He will not uh, uh, let His eyes see the presence of sin. And so He's going to send sinners to hell. But God loves sinners. He loves sinners. He loves those who've broken His commandments. And so He sent His Son, Jesus, the God-man. And Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He's the only one who's ever lived who never broke God's commandments. He loved God perfectly, loved His neighbor perfectly. And then He died on that cross where He suffered God's wrath and judgment and curse. He was died and buried. He rose on the third day. He conquered sin, death, and hell. 
And so that anyone who turns from their sins and believes in him will be saved, will be forgiven, will be born again. That's, that's the gospel. Now, you can know that, right? You can say that with your words and, and yet not know him in your heart. But we want you to know it with your words. We want you to be able to say it. We want you to be able to know it because if you don't know it in your mind, then how can you know it in your heart? Friend, if you're here this morning, you don't know that gospel, you don't know Christ, we want you to believe on Him today. We, we want you to obey the words of, of Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you've not done that, I invite you to do it right now. Right now, believe on Christ. Right now, trust in Him as your only hope, your only salvation, and He will save you from God's judgment he, he will uh, uh, count you righteous. You, you can't work for this. You can't earn it. You, you can't do anything to make God love you. It's a free gift that you receive by faith alone, grace alone, in Christ alone. And when you believe on Him by faith alone, amazing promises. All your sins, past, present, and future, cast behind His back and remember no more. As far as the east is from the west, He removes your transgressions from you. He casts them in the depths of the ocean floor and remembers them no more. He adopts you into His family as a child of God, loves you as a father, puts His Spirit in you, unites you to Jesus Christ, writes His law in your heart and causes you to obey Him and He will keep you and pursue you in love all of your days. That's the gospel. If you've not believed that, I'd love to speak with you afterwards or one of the other Christians here would love to speak with you. We want you to believe that gospel so that you can walk the walk, and talk the talk. But Jesus tells us here, what, what, what do you do in the church of professing believers when, when people aren't walking the walk and refuse to repent? Well, we saw this two weeks ago. We looked at the first step, or three weeks ago. The first step to take when a fellow Christian sins against you, look at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go to him and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And, and we thought about the fact that Christian brothers and sisters still sin against each other. We, we, we just saw Jesus crushes sinless perfectionism. <laughs> right here. Jesus says brothers still sin against each other. These steps Jesus commanded us to take are done in order to gain your brother. This is a loving thing to do. This is what Jesus, the, the, the God who is love, calls us to do. These, these steps are loving. They're not judging in a sinful way. We ought to be kind, the kind of people we thought about a few weeks ago that invite this kind of confrontational tough love. We, we ought to want this. We, we ought to want people to confront us when we're in sin. And Jesus' command here is for dealing with sin, not just preferences that we don't like, ways people get on our nerves. Uh, no, actual sin, which means they've broken a command of God. And we're told by Jesus, if a brother sins against you, go to him privately in a loving and helpful way. And we, we spent most of our time thinking about what it means to go to someone in a loving and a helpful way. And we used Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, A Biblical Guide to Resolving Conflict, which I highly recommend if you want to grow in dealing with conflict in your life, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your family. 
Just very briefly, I want to review those 19 points uh, by stating them. Go to him privately and show him his fault. Two, bring hope through the gospel. We want to bring hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ that people can be forgiven and changed. We want to be quick to listen, number three. Number four, we want to breathe grace and love toward people. Five, we want to make charitable and loving judgments. Six, we want to speak the truth in love. Seven, we want to talk from beside, not from above. We realize, save for the grace of God, there we go as well. We want to help others examine the desires of their heart. Nine, we want to choose the right time and place. Ten, we want to talk in person whenever possible. Eleven, we want to gauge the heart, engage the heart rather than declare. Twelve, we want to communicate so clearly that you cannot be misunderstood. Thirteen, plan your words, plan what you're going to say. Fourteen, use I statements to help them see how this has hurt them. Uh, hurt you. F- uh, 15, be objective. 16, use the Bible and use it carefully. 17, ask for feedback to make sure you get understanding. And 18, recognize your limits, which means only God can grant repentance. So you must pray, pray, pray. Pray as you prepare to go. Pray as you go. Pray afterwards. Pray that God would grant sinners repentance. And 19, Jesus said, if he listens to you, when you go to him, you have gained your brother, which is the whole point, to gain your brother. Now, after that sermon, uh, Joseph came up and asked the question, what if if he doesn't listen when you go to him or her? What do you do next? Well, that's what Jesus talks about in the following verses. So we're going to look at those today. The second step to take if the first step fails. Look at verse 16. But if he does not listen... When you go to him in private and confront him about his sin, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Ken Sandy comments that we should try to keep the circle of people involved in the conflict as small as possible for as long as possible. And so that's why we go in uh, private. But when that doesn't work, we, we, we have to take witnesses, Jesus says. If the person we are confronting is not responsive, we, we, you know, you go to them and, and they say, no, I didn't, I didn't sin against you. No, that's not a sin. No, uh, uh, that's a sin and I don't care. I'm going to keep living this way. I mean, that could be some of their responses. What do you do? You take witnesses. This command is grounded or echoed in Deuteronomy 19.15, which says a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Beloved, this is one reason why church membership is so important and so needed. What Jesus commands us to do here is one reason church membership is so important and so needed. We need help walking with Christ. We need help following Jesus. We we need help turning away from sin to Christ. We need help helping others turn from sin to Christ. How do you obey these verses of Jesus in Matthew 18 without formal church membership? I I don't believe that you can. This is one of the reasons why I believe church membership is biblical and clear in the New Testament. These witnesses that you are taking with you uh, are not people who... Well, before I get... Yeah. These witnesses 
that you take with you uh, are not people who witness the sin. Remember, it was a private sin. These are witnesses who are to help do several things. Number one, they bear witness to the charge that it may be established, the text says. Was there really an offense? The person accusing could be making a mountain out of a molehill. <laughs> Does that make sense? Uh, you, you, you feel like you've been sinned against, but you haven't really. And you make a mountain a really big deal out of some little thing that you really ought to overlook or really wasn't even a sin at all. And so you go to these witnesses and say, hey, so-and-so did this, did that, and the witnesses might say, listen, bro, you are blowing this way out of proportion. This is not even a a sin, and you just need to chill. (laughs) That may happen. You get more people involved, right, to help you see this clearly, and it might not even be a problem. You just may need to get a thicker Christian skin. That's one purpose for these, these witnesses. They, 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 they could just have a misunderstanding. And witnesses can help uh, uh, bring understanding. These witnesses bear witness to the nature of the alleged offense. And so uh, when you go to confront your brother with these witnesses, they, they can bear witness to the nature of the alleged offense. They hear what's going on. They hear all the words spoken uh, between both parties. And they will bear witness to the response if a sin has occurred. And so you take these witnesses with you because once you've confronted the person, uh, they bear witness to how the person responds. Secondly, these witnesses add weight to the corrective discipline. So bringing witnesses in shows this is not just some personal grudge, but witnesses are testifying that this person has broken God's commandments, that they have sinned, and this is a serious matter. You know, one person comes, ah, he's just been out of shape because he don't like me. He doesn't like my personality. Well, then two or three come, oh, hmm, this is serious. Maybe I need to take this seriously because now two or three, four are testifying that that I have broken God's commandments. Third, they can act as mediators to help ensure clear understanding and communication and offer biblical counsel. These witnesses can act as mediators. They can make sure everybody's understanding each other, everybody's communicating clearly, and they can also offer biblical counsel. And so you take these witnesses for those purposes. You can ask the person who has sinned against you if they would be willing to sit down and talk with these witnesses. Hey, you know, we're not seeing eye to eye on this. Would you mind if I bring in so-and-so and and -and so-and-so to help us work this out? You can actually just ask them that. Now, if they say no, you you still got to obey Jesus, right? And so you still uh, uh, go to them with the witnesses. These witnesses should be trustworthy, mature believers. Uh, These should be people who love Christ and love His church and want to help you resolve this conflict. They're not people you just want to be on your side so you can win the argument. And beloved, again, I just want to emphasize the fact that this is God chasing us down with mercy and love. This is how, at least one way, God goes after His lost sheep. After one has gone and you don't listen, He sends three or four. 
because he cares about his lost sheep. And, and uh, again, this is for someone who is refusing to repent of sin. Refusing to repent of sin. This is not just for somebody who sinned. This is for somebody who refuses to repent of sin. We all sin. <laughs> this is for people who refuse to repent of sin. And this is God chasing us down. This is how Jesus leaves the 99 and goes after the one. He, he does it through His people. This is God's everlasting, unrelenting, unchanging, unstoppable, amazing love and mercy for you expressed in this passage. Zechariah 2.8 says that he who touches you, God talking about His people, people, he who touches you in Aldi Baptist Church touches the apple of my eye. God sings over you, beloved. He loves you. And He's not going to let you go. David Platt comments, God loves us so much that if we are caught in sin, He will send an entire army of believers to us as a demonstration of His love and mercy. This is love. As many of you know, one prominent and faithful pastor, Tim Keller, uh, went to be with Jesus on Friday. And I am thankful for His ministry to me and how He has shown me over and over the beauty and glory of Christ and His gospel. And on this note of God's love for you, Keller has said, you are more wicked than ever you dared believe. And yet you are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared hope. Keller says, if you were a hundred times worse than you are, your sins would be no match for His mercy. Beloved, do you know the love of God that way? If you were a hundred times worse than you are, your sins would be no match for His mercy. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And so we go with these witnesses. We go and uh, uh, with the witnesses seek to show this brother or sister who's in sin, their fault, their sin, in hopes that they will repent, in hopes that they will be restored. But what if they don't listen to all the witnesses? What if they still refuse to repent of sin? Well, the third step to take if the first and second steps fail, Matthew 18, 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. Don't tell it to the presbytery. Don't tell it to the elders. Don't tell it to the bishopric. Don't tell them to whatever other false form of government you come up with. It's not in the Bible. Tell it to the church. I do not understand why that's not so clear. If anyone can clue me in on why that's not clear, please, please tell me. I've heard my Presbyterian brothers' arguments. They make no sense to me. Church means church, and church is what church means. This is one strong reason why I believe congregationalism is clear, is the clear form of church government taught in the Bible. Under Jesus Christ, the local church is the final authority who will make judgments on these matters of a sinning brother or sister who is unwilling to repent. That's why at this church, when we have congregational business meetings, the elders don't tell you what we're going to do about bringing members in, like my Presbyterian brothers. You vote on it because you are the final authority gathered church. That's why when we do discipline, unlike my PCA brothers and sisters who the elders tell you what the elders are going to do, 
We tell you what we recommend and you vote on it because you are the final authority. The gathered church is the final authority under Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus says here. And I don't understand why it's not more clear. What is the process of you telling it to the church? Well, beloved, let me make this point. Usually when the sin gets to this point, the sinning person is not attending the church anymore. So we've had to do this in our church. And by this time, when we have people who have not attended in uh, months or uh, we've had issues with people being unfaithful in marriage, I mean, they're not around anymore. They stop coming. And so usually when the sin gets to this point, the, the, the sinning person is not attending the church anymore. Usually the elders and pastors of the church are already involved at this point when it gets to this level. So, so you don't stand up one Sunday morning in front of everybody and just announce this problem to the congregation. That's not what tell it to the church means. You would go, possibly with the witnesses. How, how do you tell it to the church? What does that look like? What, what is that process of telling it to the church after you've confronted privately, after you've confronted with uh, witnesses? Well, uh, you would go, possibly with the witnesses, to the elders or pastors of the church and tell them uh, about the situation. Uh, the elders and others who know that person well would reach out to the person for reconciliation and repentance. And... Uh, if there's still no reconciliation or repentance, the elders would announce the situation in a private church members only meeting. That's why our members meetings are for members only. Um, and we would ask the church to pray about the situation and for the congregation to speak to this person and call them to repentance. And so we tell it to the church. We tell it to the church. We let the church members know, hey, so-and-so has left his wife. And we, we, we've confronted him, sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so has confronted him, uh, and they're unrepentant. We're coming to you now. We're letting you know that they have left their, their, their spouse. Uh, they have no grounds to do so. God hates divorce. Uh, uh, we're asking you to pray for this person. We're asking you, if you have a personal relationship, to, to speak to this person and plead with them to repent and come back to Christ, come back to their wife, come back to the church. That's telling it to the church. What if they don't listen to the church? Point number four, the fourth step to take if the first, second, and third steps all fail, Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, 17, and if He refuses to listen even to the church... Even to the church. We're going to talk about this more next week, but I just have to say, I mean, it is an amazing authority that Jesus has vested in the church. He even goes on in the next chapter to, to, to say that if you're defrauded by somebody, it's better for you to lose out on your rights than to take your brother to court. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? The church is the final authority. More on that next week, Lord willing. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. The sins that make it to this point are usually very public and very egregious. One of the reasons we've had to practice church discipline most often at Alpha Baptist Church is for non-attendance. 
We have people who join the church, they commit to membership, but they stop coming and they have no reason to stop coming. They don't go to another church, a faithful church, they just stop coming. These sins are very public. We've had to discipline people for adultery. We've had to discipline people for abortion. These sins are usually very public and very egregious. And we've pursued these people in love according to Jesus' commandments, and they have refused to repent. The sinners in these situations, again, I want to stress, are unrepentant sinners. These people have been loved, they've been pursued, they've been pleaded with, they've been prayed for, they've been wept over, they've been confronted multiple times in multiple ways over periods of months, and they still refuse to repent of sin. And when they do that, Jesus instructs us to let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. What does that mean? Let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. It means let them be to you as an unbeliever. Someone who does not rightly belong to the church community anymore because they are not living like it. They're not walking the walk. And so we, we, we can't treat them as a brother and sister in Christ anymore. We treat them as an unbeliever. We, we treat them as somebody who needs to be evangelized, who needs to be told the gospel. We can't just hang out in a chummy way anymore. There's got to be a tension now in that relationship where our hanging out needs to, to be focused on, will you repent? Will you turn? Will you come back? Will you, will you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved? Will you follow Jesus in obedience? The, the relationship has to change. You just can't hang out with the person in the same way anymore as if everything's okay. Daniel Doriani comments on this. Jesus is not here telling the disciples that they ought to treat tax collectors poorly. In fact, Jesus welcomed them along with other sinners. He says, treat them as people who stand outside the community and its fellowship. That is, excommunicate them while retaining hope of reconciliation through a fresh encounter with the gospel. In love for them, we need to some way communicate to them that they are now outside the fellowship in hopes that they might see their sin and repent and come back to Jesus. I love the way Jonathan Lehman sort of looks through the whole Bible at this. There's, there's always been an in and an out among God's people. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They sinned. They got cast out of the garden. Noah and his family were in the ark, safe in the ark of Christ. All the wicked who rejected God were outside the ark and died. God's people Israel were in the promised land and in their sin and rebellion were cast out of the promised land. Jesus had followers who followed him who were in and he had people who rejected him who were out. 1 Corinthians 5, we'll read later today, there were, uh, Paul called uh, them th th those Corinthians who were following Jesus in, 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 in trusting the gospel and, and, and living for God were in and he called them to cast this person out and turn them over to Satan. The book of Revelation, there are names in the book of life and their names outside the book of life. This is all over the Bible. People say church membership is not in the Bible. Being in and out is not in the Bible. It's all over the Bible. <laughs> Being in and out. God makes distinctions. And, and Jesus is calling us here to make this distinction among those who are in and those who are out based on uh, being willing to repent of sin and continue to follow Jesus. 
I want to read an extensive portion of this book uh, from Ken Sandy, the peacemaker, as, as he describes this, this action. Uh, treat him as a non-believer is what it means, what Jesus means when he says uh, treat him as a, a, a tax collector, a Gentile or tax collector. As I have shown repeatedly, God calls his people to act justly, seek peace, and be reconciled with others. If a Christian refuses to do these things, he is violating God's will. If he refuses to listen to his church's counsel to repent of his of this sin, Jesus says the church should treat him as you would a pagan, a Gentile, or a tax collector. Jesus' use of the word as is significant. Since only God can know a person's heart, the church has no power to decide whether a person is a believer. Instead, the church is called only to make a functional decision. If a person behaves like a non-believer would, by disregarding the authority of Scripture and of uh, Christ's church, he should be treated as if he were a non-believer. In other words, the church should not pretend that things are all right with people who claim to be Christians and yet refuse to listen to God as He speaks through the Scriptures and the church. Treating unrepentant people as unbelievers is sometimes the only way to help them understand the seriousness of their sin. This may be accomplished by withdrawing various membership privileges such as communion, church office, or teaching Sunday school and may culminate in revoking their membership status altogether if they persist in their refusal to repent of sin. But treating others as unbelievers also means that we look for every opportunity to evangelize them. We remind them again and again of the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ and urge them to receive His forgiveness by repenting and of and turning from their sin. If they are behaving in a way that disrupts the peace of the church, it may be appropriate to exclude them from the church property. Otherwise, we should welcome them to Sunday worship as we do other non-believers. But instead of talking to them in superficial ways, we should graciously and repeatedly remind them of the gospel and urge them to repent of their wrongs. This treatment is designed to bring conviction to stubborn people with the purpose of leading them to turn from their sinful ways and to be restored to fellowship with God and fellow believers. Treating someone as a non-believer serves three important purposes. First, revoking the person's membership in the church prevents the Lord from being dishonored if that person continues to act in blatantly sinful ways. Second, other believers are protected from being led astray by a bad example or divisive behavior. Third, treating someone as a non-believer may help the rebellious person to realize the seriousness of his or her sin, turn from it, and be restored to God. This third purpose bears repeating. The intention in treating others as non-believers is not to injure them or punish them, but rather to help them see the seriousness of their sin and their need for repentance. Jesus loved people caught in sin enough to warn them of their sinful condition and its consequences and to urge them to repent. The church should do no less. Many Christians balk at this teaching. And they do. <laughs> this is not loving. This is not right. This is not kind. This is so judgmental. Beloved, let me remind you again, Jesus Christ, the Lord of love, the God who is love, is the one commanding us to do this. We must uh, define love by the way Jesus and His Word defines love and not by what we've been so uh, enamored with, the culture telling us what love is. This is loving. Some churches ignore or refuse to implement, 
implement Matthew 18, 17, even though the Bible teaches that God views accountability and discipline as an act of love and an important means to restore His wandering sheep and protect His people from being led astray by sinful examples. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent His rebuke because the Lord disciplines those He loves as a father the son He delights in. By ignoring this teaching, a church is not only disobeying Jesus' specific commands, but also failing to face up to the seriousness of sin and its consequences. As one theologian said, nothing is so cruel as the tenderness that consigns another to his sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. Consider this analogy. When a patient has cancer, it is not easy for his doctor to tell him because it is a truth that is painful to hear and difficult to bear. Even so, any doctor who diagnoses cancer but fails to report it to a patient would be guilty of malpractice. After all, a patient can be properly treated only after the disease has been identified. Sin works in the same way. Left undiagnosed and untreated, it causes increasing grief and spiritual deterioration. The church has a responsibility both to promote peace and unity and to help believers disentangle themselves from the terrible effects of sin. Treating someone as an unbeliever is a serious and painful step, but it is also an act of obedience to God and a loving remedy for the person caught in sin. This truth was powerfully illustrated when a man told his wife that he was filing for divorce and moving in with another woman. When the wife was unable to dissuade him, she went to their pastor for advice. He gave her several suggestions on how to persuade her husband to change his mind or at least to come in for counseling. Nothing she said to her husband during the next few days dissuaded him and he began to pack his things. In desperation, she returned to her pastor and asked him to talk with her husband. At first, the pastor declined to take an active role, saying that he did not want to scare him away from the church. The wife asked the pastor how he could take such a position in light of Matthew 18, 15-20 and Galatians 6, 1-2 and many related passages. Amen. If you, if you have a pastor or elder who's ever doing something contrary to the Word of God, you should bring the Word of God to them and show them, hey, the Bible says this, you're doing this, what's going on here? That's what she did. After a long discussion, the pastor finally realized that he was neglecting his responsibilities as a shepherd. As a result, he went to visit the husband that evening and offered to help him work out his marital problems. When the husband had adamantly refused to change his course, the pastor pleaded with him to change his mind and offered all of the resources of the church to help solve the problems in his marriage. When even that did not dissuade the husband, the pastor finally explained the Matthew 18 process and said, I can't stop you from filing for divorce, but I must tell you that you may be removed from the church membership if you deliberately violate Scripture as you are planning to do. After he got over his initial shock, the husband said, You mean I'll be kicked out of the church for divorcing my wife? Under these circumstances, the pastor replied, Yes. Hearing this, the husband lost his temper and ordered the pastor out of his home. <laughs> this is one reason we don't like to do this. <laughs> this is one reason we don't like to follow what Jesus says because it can get a little sticky. <laughs> Sometimes people get mad. Sometimes people get out of my house. We got to obey Jesus, though. Pray for me on this. Pray for me. I hate conflict. But I learned as a pastor... Whew, you got to deal with it all the time. you got to confront people, talk to people because they're not following Jesus. Uh, pray that I would be a man 
act like a man, like Paul says, and be bold and do what Jesus says when I need to do it, that we would all do that in love for people. But we don't like to do that because people get mad and storm out and say, get out of my house. Uh, but we have to suffer for Jesus in that way. Early the next morning, however, the pastor received a phone call from the husband who wanted to talk with him again. They met an hour later, and by 10 o'clock that morning, the husband was on the telephone telling the other woman that he would not be moving in with her. Amen. Amen. Later that day, the pastor began counseling with this couple, and together they started to work out the deep problems that had brought them to this crisis. Ten years later, they are still raising their family together and thanking God for a pastor who cared enough to get involved in the way Jesus commanded. I wish I could say that all interventions turn out this well, but obviously they don't. Even so, I know of many marriages that are together today because churches obey Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18, 15-20. More importantly, even in those cases where one party proceeded on a sinful course in spite of efforts to hold him accountable, the churches at least knew that they had been faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Such faithfulness can significantly increase the respect church members have for their leaders and for Scripture. At the same time, it sends a message that willful sin will not be casually overlooked which encourages others in the church to work out their problems in a biblically faithful manner. Amen. Do we see this practice in Scripture? Well, yes, we do. Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 5. I want to show you another place where we normally go to to see what we call this uh, uh, punitive or, or, or corrective church discipline. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm just going to read through and talk through this, this section with you. First Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. So, so apparently, uh, there's some gross sexual morality going on in the Corinthians church. Uh, apparently, a man is, is sleeping with his stepmother. This is a kind of immorality that's not even named among pagans. And, and, and um, Paul's addressing this issue in the church. And in verse 2, he says, And you are arrogant. In, in other words, they're not doing anything about it. That they're, 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 they're not taking any action. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Yeah. Th there we have it. The, the, the person who's living in this kind of sexual morality needs to be treated as a Gentile or tax collector. Paul's language here is let them be removed from among you. You know, uh, uh, apparently this man is in the church. He thinks he's a Christian. He thinks things are fine, but he's living in gross sexual morality and they're not doing anything about it. So he's continuing to think he's okay. God's okay. Everything's okay. And he's on his way to hell if he doesn't repent. <laughs> and that he needs to be removed. He, he needs to be confronted. L let him be removed uh, from among you. At verse three, for though I, though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. 
I mean, there's a lot there about the assembly. Jesus is there where two or three are gathered. That's the context of later in Matthew 18 of what Jesus says when two or three are gathered. It, 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 Jesus, uh, Paul here says G- Jesus is there. Uh, he, he, he's, he's with us in this. He's with you in this. Deliver this man to Satan. That's another way of casting him out of the church, delivering over to Satan. It shows the safety there is in the church. There's safety in the church. The flock needs to be in the flock. If the sheep goes out and is by itself, he gets eaten by a wolf. It, it, being cast out of the church is being turned over to Satan. We need the church. We need the safety of the church, the fellowship of the church, this one of the church, the love of the church, the correction of the church. And, and Paul says this man needs to be turned over to Satan. Why is that? Remember, this is to gain your brother so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's the reason. We, we want him to come to his self. We want to, him to see his sin. We want him to repent. We want him to come back. We cast him out and turn him over to Satan that he might see his sin and repent and be restored. And we, like the father in the prodigal son story, can welcome him back with open arms and slaughter the fattened calf and have a party when he returns. We want him to be saved. Verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. You see when sin left, is, is left uh, 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 unaddressed, it spreads in the church like leaven. That was one of the points of why we do corrective church discipline to prevent others from, from sin as well. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And verse 9, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now this is important. Not, uh, not uh, at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. So again, this is for people who profess faith, who are members, who, who claim to follow Jesus. It's not, he, Paul's not saying don't associate with sexually immoral people or, or greedy or swindlers. No, we're to go out and evangelize them and call them to repentance. You can go hang out with your friends in the world as long as they don't pull you into sin uh, as, as it's trying to evangelize them and love them and care for them. Uh, invite them into your home, have meals with, with them. Uh, we're, we're doing evangelism. Paul's not saying don't associate with them. He's saying, he's saying, uh, uh, verse 11, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. Bears the name of brother. You see that in verse 11? But now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an adulterer, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Not even to eat with such a one. And so when, when we have to remove people from membership, you need to realize, congregation, members of Alney Baptist Church, that your relationship with them changes. You're not to hang out with them like everything's okay. You know, there, there was a friend of mine, he wasn't a member, but I sort of treated him like one in this particular sense. And we would watch, we would watch uh, the Eagles sometimes together. And he was married and he had all these marital problems and, and we tried to help him and counsel him and stay married, stay married, stay married. He left his wife for another woman. I didn't go hang out with him and watch Eagles games anymore. Something needed to change. There was a tension there now. Every interaction with him had to be Brother, you're in sin. 
You've left your wife. You need to repent. You need to come back to to faithfulness to Jesus and, and come back to your wife. I just can't hang out with him like everything's okay because that just encourages the behavior. Paul says not even to eat with such a one. That's why when we uh, remove people from membership here, we don't serve them the Lord's Supper. They're not welcome to take the Lord's Supper here until they repent and believe the gospel because we love them, because we love Jesus, because we love God's Word and want to obey what God says. And so we treat them as a Gentile and tax collector, as Jesus says. We turn them over to Satan. We remove them from among us, as Paul says, as God's Word says, that they might see their sin, that they might repent and come back to Jesus and the church. Paul taught this as well in 2 Thessalonians 3, 14-15. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And we want to do that in our life as a church. I wanted to share with 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 you a couple letters, uh, just what this looks like in in our uh, church life. I, I've mentioned we've had to do this on several occasions at at this church for unrepentant sin, where we've pursued people, we've gone through these steps, and and people have refused to repent, and so we've had to remove them from membership and and communicate to them. Listen, you're not living like a believer. We're very concerned for your soul. We're praying for you. Please repent. Please come back. I want to read to you two letters. I want to read a warning letter, and then I want to read the final letter. This is just an example of of the way that we handle this and seek to follow Jesus in this. So this is a letter of concern or warning. Dear church member, We hope this letter finds you well. We care about your spiritual health, and therefore we are concerned about your lack of church attendance. If you would like to remain a member, you must contact us and commit to attend Sunday mornings. We can be reached at the following. If you are attending another Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church, please let us know. Though we hate to see you go, we encourage you to join the church where you are attending regularly and resign your membership here at Alney Baptist. We write because we love you and we care about your spiritual growth in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear on the importance of the need for Christians to be together in fellowship regularly. Hebrews 10, 24-25 And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As the leadership of Ani Baptist Church, we expect our members to attend Sunday morning services every Sunday in which they are not sick or out of town. This commitment is part of what it means to be a member. Part of the covenant that you made when you became a member means being present at the Sunday morning gatherings. The covenant says, With joy I have taken my place in the family of God, the church universal in its expression in this local church. I accept the responsibility for its upbuilding. And to this end, I commit myself to wholeheartedly support the church in its local and worldwide ministry with my time, abilities, and possessions. I will strive for the unity of the church, praying for, helping, forgiving, and being considerate toward my fellow members in Christian love. Realizing my own inadequacy, I will earnestly seek the help of the Holy Spirit in the fellowship of the church in the accomplishment of these purposes to the glory of God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Sincerely in Christ, pastors. And so we send a, 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 a letter And usually, sometimes it's a letter because the people, when it gets to this point again, nobody wants to be contacted, nobody wants to be called, people don't answer phones, people don't come, and so we send uh, a letter to warn them um, uh, of the seriousness of of the matter. 
And then if, if, again, we tell it to the church, they refuse to listen to the church, we've done all we can, uh, we've followed these steps of Jesus, we've prayed, we've sought them, uh, and then we, uh, we would come back uh, to the church at a private meeting and we would announce all the things that we've done, that they've done, and we would vote uh, by the majority, and you can you can look at the book of Corinthians and see that, that they inflicted a, a punishment on him by the majority, uh, uh, and and we vote to remove them from membership. And and those have been some of the saddest times that I have had as as a pastor. Uh, but but we want to follow Jesus in that, and and then we would communicate to the church member a letter like this: Dear church member, we hope this finds you well. We care about your spiritual health, and therefore we continue to be concerned about your lack of church attendance. Because of your lack of attendance and because of your failure to respond to our letters or phone calls, the church voted to remove you from the church membership role at a called business meeting on such and such date. Beyond the official nature of this letter, we are gravely concerned for you and for the state of your soul. It is so vital for Christians to meet together that attending church is commanded to all Christians in the New Testament. Disobeying this direct command is not a trivial matter, but a sign that your soul is in serious danger and calls into question whether you are indeed a Christian. Please consider returning. In the Bible, not us, it is the Bible, not us, that commands you to attend church regularly. And I quote, we quote Hebrews 10 again, do not forsake the assembly. Again, we want to remind you that there is abundant mercy and forgiveness for you if you will only repent of your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are still always welcome to meet with us and come to any of our church meetings except the business meetings. Furthermore, you are no longer allowed to take the Lord's Supper until you repent and return to regular church attendance. But among God's people and under the preaching of God's Word is where you should be, so we hope you will come back and be with us or join another church that faithfully preaches the Word. Please know that we are taking all these measures because we love you and we want to see you fully restored to Christ and His people. We as your church leaders wait with open arms like the father of the prodigal son. Please come home to Only Baptist Church and to Christ more importantly. We would love to meet with you anytime and talk more about these matters. Please contact us in these ways. God's mercy is great. 1 John 1, 8-9 If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sincerely in Christ, the pastors. And we send that to them, uh, letting them know that we are concerned for their soul, that we've removed them from membership, and we pray that God would use that to awaken them uh, to come back and repent and be restored. That's what Jesus commands us to do. That's what He commands us in Matthew eighteen fifteen through 17. And because we trust and love Jesus and the glory of God the most, we, again, beloved, we should desire this kind of accountability for ourselves in all areas of our public and personal lives. This is something you should desire. This is something you should want. Remember the story I told a couple weeks ago about the seminary professor who asked the pastor, what will you do if I leave my wife? And the pastor said, I'm going to go through these steps. And the pastor said, well, what if I, what if I, or the professor said, what if I refuse all those steps? He said, well, then we're going to, we're going to remove your membership as an unbeliever. And, and, and the man responded, this is the church I want to join. Because he knew the Bible. He loved Jesus. He loves the glory of God. He loves holiness. He loves, he loves himself and wants to make it to heaven. <laughs> we want to make it to heaven. 
I, I want you to get in my face if I'm committing sin that's going to lead me to hell. I want you to get in my face because I want Jesus more than I want to be a pastor. We ought to want this. When new members join, we ask them to make commitments to us and to God. The seventh membership commitment question asks, in loving obedience, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of Albany Baptist Church? Promising to seek the peace, purity, and prosperity of this congregation as long as you're a member of it. And, and we ask people to take that, that oath. Yes, I submit to the discipline of this church. If you're a member, you, 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 you've done that. We want this kind of accountability because we love the glory of God. Uh, we love purity and holiness. We want to be like Jesus uh, and we want to grow in Christ. Next week, God willing, we'll tackle uh, verses 18 through 20, the binding and loosing of the church and the presence of Christ with His people. But beloved, I want to end on this. Remember how we ended that letter of discipline. God's mercy is great. God's mercy is great. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And Jesus bought us this great mercy on that cross. Jesus was the one who on that cross was treated as a Gentile sinner outside God's covenant family. And Jesus was the one who was treated as a godless sinner and tax collector. Jesus was treated as sexual immorality. On that cross, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus was treated as malice and evil and greediness and swindling and idolatry and reviling and drunkenness. And Jesus Christ bore all those sins in Himself and His body on that tree. He was crushed and cursed for us, the Passover Lamb so that we might be saved and redeemed and justified and adopted, brought into God's covenant family and sanctified. And He rose up from the dead. He's alive. And as, as Tim Keller said in an interview I watched this weekend, if the resurrection's true, everything is going to be alright. Everything's going to be alright. And it is true. And this is why we do what Jesus says and pursue those straying. Jesus Christ, the God-man, loves His people so much that He calls us to pursue the one caught in sin, just like He and His Father do, so that the lost or straying might be rescued, restored, and redeemed from the road of destruction. Christ Jesus' love is tough and right. He disciplines His church to fight against all sin and evil blight. So she'll be pure in His clear sight. He died for sinners, took God's fright, and bore God's everlasting smite, then rose alive the world's true light. He rules His church with gentle might, calls her to bind and loose contrite. He'll be, will be like Him, pristine and bright. These thoughts with joy do excite, for He's our all, our great delight. Lord Jesus, we do pray that You would be our great delight that we would truly say with the psalmist, whom have we in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth we desire besides you. Father, we pray that we would love and trust and adore you so much that our hearts would be moved to, to obey you even in these hard teachings that are sometimes hard to do. We pray, Lord God, that we would love you so much that we would obey. 
We pray that we would love one another so much that we would care for each other's souls and in, in guarding one another from sin. Lord, we, we ask that you would give us the strength and the courage, the boldness, the humility, the love, uh, the filling of your spirit such that we would obey Christ in this, that we would be a faithful church and love one another well in the right way. Give us wisdom, Lord. Give us wisdom. Give us help. We need you. For Jesus' sake, amen.